cheesy intro for the podcast. A cheesy intro? Yeah. Instead of our kind of fade in that we do now. So so how kind of like Welcome to the Good Day Sir podcast. Featuring your hosts, Sean DeSantiago and Jeremy Ross. Hey, I got top billing on that one. Normally you get top billing. That's just so I can blame all the bad stuff on you. Yeah. Hey, did you figure out our our Google juice issue and our lack of being able to be found in podcast clients? No, I haven't figured it out. Really? That's a problem. I like what Code Coverage did, though, because they actually, their iTunes title actually says Salesforce developer, I think, podcast on it. I might use that trick. Yeah. Oh, on their website or what? No, no. It's just on the actual iTunes listing itself. Okay. And and so does the iTunes listing it is it a separate configurable thing or does it just read from the RSS feed? See, I think it just reads from the RSS feed, and the feed is responsible for sending all the right tags and metadata along inside of it. Yeah. And right now, Squarespace owns that, oh. which is who is hosting our feed. So I got to check in and make sure that they're adding everything the right way or making sure I have things in the right spot. So that it shows up in the right place. Right. I mean, everything's labeled and it says, you know, you know, iTunes this and iTunes that, and I have everything there, but maybe it's just not either formatted the right way or some, something. Hmm. We shall see. Well, so did you want to talk about any strategies to, um, to help people find, cause so we have this issue of people can't find us, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, if we do a just general Salesforce search on podcast apps, you know, we're not coming up. But if you look for good day, sir, we come up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But so if you, you have to actually like, be looking for us. Right. By name. Right. Because I've, I've told you before, like, I don't want to get into this thing where we're asking people to go to iTunes and rate and, uh, you know, rate and review our podcast because it I really do. helps. No, I, mean, I do. Go, everyone go to <laughs> iTunes. The link is on our website, gooddaysirpodcast.com. You can link to iTunes. You can look it up there. You can write a review. Just give us five stars. It doesn't hurt. Well, and the thing is, like, you know, this is decidedly a non-money-making op- operation. You no, know, we're, I, we're a non-profit. Uh, you, you can say that we're, again. We're negative profit because <laughs> <laughs> we spend we spend a lot of money on on just making sure we have good quality sound and we should equipment. L- one thing we could do to offset costs is to lease this studio out to people oh. who actually want to record, you know, podcasts some, or voiceovers. I don't want else's mouth breath on my mic. Well, what if it's worth <laughs> some money to you? Huh? I don't know. Um, this is my mic. This is mine. I don't want someone else breathing on it. Yeah. But it, so even though like, you know, I don't want sponsors because then we'd be compromised and I want to be able to talk about whatever I want to talk about. It turns out though that like if people want to be able to find you, your podcast has to have reviews and ratings on iTunes or it just does not come up. Right. Yeah. And then we also had that problem with, um, with our Twitter feed and I do have the new handler. <laughs> Twitter handler. <laughs> I do have my new Twitter handler. Um, and I'm, I still have to contact, I still have to make time to contact Twitter to find out if I can merge the accounts. Yeah. So that was a week ago. So you haven't no progress on that. No progress. <laughs> I've been, I've been trying to make some money, man. I'm going to start docking you for pay. all this. Oh wait, you don't get paid. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> my pay. <laughs> the millions we sit on yeah, at this exactly. podcast. <laughs> Our revenue stream. Um, but we do it for love, for the love of, of the show. It's just for fun. I mean, this is why we do this. We're for fun. And if it ever stops being fun, we got to figure out why it's not fun. Yeah. 
you know, that's why, like, I don't want to take you seriously. I don't do, you know, do I want, do we want to beg people to go rate and review stuff? Do I even care? This is supposed to be fun. And if it ever becomes, you know, more work than it is fun, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. I think the idea is if it's fun for us, hopefully there's other people like-minded who find it fun and right. will enjoy and listen so, to it. So that being said, everyone, please go rate and review our <laughs> podcast on iTunes right now. <laughs> Cause it really does help. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what's on the uh, docket for today? We got a lot of stuff, but uh, are we going to do a slow reveal? We're we just going to just toss it all out there. Slow review, a, s- a reveal, slow reveal, slow reveal. I don't know. Just like what? Do you, what's what's on top of mind? Or I know you've got. I know you. We've got wave. That's our. That's our big. Yeah, we got some wave topic, stuff to talk about. You want to leave that for the end? Yeah, I think that's going to be a bigger topic. We can. We'll have to drill into. Um, I, I did this week. I put my first process builder solution into production. Uh, oh, do yeah. I get applause about that? for that or anything? I mean, that, that, um, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Do you want applause? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Mark Benioff appreciates that. He does. <laughs> I was a little nervous about it because a lot of the people that I know who have used process builder, put it into production, have had some issues with it. And it's, one of them was that it it went into production. It was working fine for about a week. And then for some reason, a week later, it started throwing all these errors. Now, I didn't have any context to know what those errors were. I don't know if maybe someone changed something or did a new validation rule or something that might have started causing those errors. Um, but it seems overall there's there's quite a few people out there of the mindset or consensus that maybe it's just not ready to be used yet, which seems... It's a shame, isn't it? Because it's a tool, it's GA, well, we should be able to use it, right? I don't know if it's a shame. I just think that's the way things work a lot of times. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's new, right? Yeah. I mean, what was it? Um, heck, I, still, I suggest people still don't use change sets. And how old are those? Two years now? Well, that's what I used to deploy. <laughs> well, that, so that was your first problem. <laughs> well, see, deployment takes so long that now I just try to pass it off to, to someone else, yes. the project manager yeah. or something. I'm like, well, here's the classes and everything. You've got some fields that you created. Why don't you just put them all in that same change set? And even if the change set UI wasn't terrible, which it is, especially if you're dealing with dependencies and stuff in the way that you basically even, the, the paging through things and finding things yeah, is just horrible. The, it is. The usability is But really even bad. if they fix that usability, like there's just still, um, well, they actually, I think it's gotten better, but, but, you know, for at least the first, I would say year, it was just not reliable enough. Like, you know, the metadata API was still like the first class way to deploy. Yeah. And, you know, I have to have reliable ways of doing things. And that's so I just right. suggest not using. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's probably important to remember that with every one of these major releases, you know, visual force had its growing pains, triggers had its growing pains, chain sets had its growing pains. And while some of those growing pains still continue, things have gotten a lot better. And so this is the first release of process builder. So I'm expecting things to get a lot better because it, it was actually this particular org that I put this solution into, I did not want to write another trigger. It's already bloated enough, already has way too many things running um, running unit tests and even just SQL query limits and all those kind of things. I just didn't want to go through that. So this particular scenario was perfect for the process builder. And it's, it had to deal with lead conversion. If <laughs> is your org already bloated and about to explode, <laughs> then try process builder. Yeah. Back out some of that stuff and make a process out of it. <laughs> make a process flow. We're all about flows now. But, but, but we, so we already talked about though, the process builder doesn't get you out of limits though, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. But 
So why in did the you- time it took me to would have taken me to code, write the unit test, validate it, deploy it, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I did this really quick. I was surprised at how fast I did this. So you didn't have because okay, you didn't have to test, right? That, well, you don't, not you don't even have to write a test for it. Well, not even that. I mean, you have some boilerplate stuff that you have to write when you're writing trigger code. You have to write the class and you know keep you know, have all your layers of abstraction. You have your class with your actual logic. You have your static methods. You have your asynchronous True. methods. And if it takes a minute to save every time you need to save an Apex class or a trigger, then that can really get slow. Yeah. Like, like CS15 was today. Right. At least a minute for anything. Yeah, that's, that's so random. I know. I just, I just quit. I'm like, okay, I'm done for today. I'm just, I'll try tomorrow. And in yeah. the worst case scenario, I'll, I'll work this weekend because it, it, Salesforce is always faster on the weekend. Right. Cloud computing. That's cloud computing for you. <laughs> yeah. So you're sharing the resources with everyone else. It's like a cable modem. <laughs> <laughs> Going backwards. What happened? Shared resources. Oh, yeah. That's virtualization. That, that used to be a thing about, you know, having works, powerful workstations was the computing was distributed. It wasn't centralized. And so you got that performance gain. Yeah, so if, if if the supplier is allocating enough resources for the for the aggregate, then it works. But if yeah. and I don't know if the, I don't know if this was a just a resource contention issue or if something. It seemed like something was wrong yeah. because I'd have a compiled that would take you know eight seconds one time and four minutes the next time, same exact class virtually. Right, right. So that that means something's kind of wrong. Something's going wrong. Yeah. So, anyways, back to my my solution. It, it was a really simple. Well. It's something I get asked to do quite often, which is we have, we have leads and we have a bunch of child objects related to that lead because we're tracking all this other information. However, when you convert it, Salesforce doesn't bring that over for you to the new when contact. You can, when you convert a lead to an opportunity. So when you convert a, a lead to account contact opportunity. Um, and so usually the solution is write a trigger so that it goes out and associates those records to the new contact or account or opportunity. Um, Don't remind me to, when you're done with this to... Bring up Jeremy's law. Jeremy's law? Yes. All right. So, so this was a perfect case because all I need to do was check when the lead was converted, if the is converted field was changed to true. And when that happened, just grab all of the child records for that particular object and pass on the converted contact ID over to the, the field that it needed to be. And it worked like a charm and it was great. And I actually went through the tool really quickly. I, I was I guess I had some mem- mem- uh, muscle memory built up from all the testing and everything I did. So I was surprised at how fast and quickly I was able to, to put this together. I didn't think hardly in at all. And it was much, much more enjoyable experience than writing a workflow for sure. Yeah. I can imagine. So, but yeah, that was my experience. Right, cool. So, so Jeremy's law, it's Jeremy's law for leads. You, you know what it is, right? No, no. So it's as soon as you get to the point that you think you want to start associating related list records to a lead, you convert the lead. Yeah. Right. If, if leads are, leads are basically just a temporary holding place. They're not for associating other stuff to, they're not for, they're, they're simply for, they're, they're very simple and they're, they're just, you know, again, very temporary. As soon right. as you start working it or you, you know, you're basically trying to find is, is this a person or not? And do they have a, is it at a company or is this who I thought it was? If yes, convert the lead. Yeah, I agree. You don't have to create an opportunity if there's not one, but convert the lead. Because if you do have related list stuff that you generally like start, start like to start attaching to a, a person in Salesforce, 
And if you, again, that's not what leads, you can do that. I mean, Salesforce lets you associate things to leads. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. It really breaks up your process and it creates this wall where you have this very defined state between a lead and your client or whatever they end up becoming, customer, client, whatever you call them. And it gets messy because especially when you have all these associated records and there's not this clear delineation of time of when they actually start becoming your customer. Right. Um, so you end up almost kind of duplicating processes or trying to merge the data for, for reporting. And it just doesn't work because you're dealing with two different data sets. Right. So it gets really painful. So yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. This was just, this was a battle I could not win and I had to deal with it. Yeah. And that's how I solved for it. And think about like, think about a grain silo, right? And imagine you have a, imagine a grain silo that holds all of, you know, your main, you know, your main CRM data. And you know how that, the grain silos, they have like a, that tube or whatever that goes up to the top of them. And that's how like you load new grain into it. Like it dumps it into the top. Yeah. Like those, those, those are your leads. You know, you've got leads that are going up that tube and they're getting dumped in. And maybe, you know, you're throwing some, there's a little escape chute to throw the bad ones out that you don't want, but in general, they're going into your main CRM data. Right. The, the other way to look at that is two full silos, right? And you've got leads that you're, you know, you're building up in this completely separate silo from the rest of your business. And it is siloed, right? Because again, the conversion process doesn't, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to bring that, all that stuff over intact without complex, you know, complex code and custom functionality. Right. So don't, don't have two silos. Just have one silo. Yeah, I agree. You know, and get rid of, and get rid of your leads. Like make a decision. Don't let them sit in there forever. Temporary. And that's right? Jeremy's law. That's Jeremy's law. Jer- it has to be Jeremy's more specific law. than Jeremy's that's law. Jeremy's though. law for leeds. Jeremy's law. That doesn't, they need, you need some PR, man. And I need someone to come up with some cool names for these yeah, laws. I'm not. I didn't go into marketing. Uh, okay. So what do you got? Um, so, okay. So Salesforce bought a two-factor authentication company called Twofer, which I, I think is kind of a cool name. Twofer. T T O O P H E R. The Twofer Cloud. Um, so this will be interesting. I think this will be good for Salesforce. So it, it uses um, it, and then by the way, Twofer is in Austin. They're like a little small company. Salesforce does have two two factor authentication. Well, this is I think taking it to a more advanced level. So it uses a, a smartphone's location awareness to provide two factor authentication. What? Uh, mm-hmm. How what? does it? What is? So if you're if you're in the office with your phone, you can log in or you, or if you're not, you're, you can't. No, no, that's not what it is. It uses somehow it uses like your phone's GPS, like your current GPS mm-hmm. coordinates um, to, to create a, like a temporary code that you use. Um, let's see, let me read this in the, okay. So in the two for model, when an authentication request comes in from a new or unrecognized location, the user receives a notification from the two for app with details of the request, the request. The user can then approve or deny the authentication. So you actually, I think you approve or deny it on your phone. Hmm. Um, what sucks is that they were selling that technology to like LastPass and like LinkedIn and a bunch of people are using it. And I think it's going to be one of those things where it just gets shut down. Um, they're like a CEO or someone said, uh, even though we will no longer sell our current product, sorry about that, our commitment to your security remains steadfast, as does our love for breakfast tacos. It's literally the quote. <laughs> a lot of breakfast tacos. So he's stuff. like, hey, thanks for that business and uh, fun- funding us up to this point, but screw you. Find a different solution because Salesforce is going to shut this thing down. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't, doesn't say where they will, but it, Salesforce has a kind of a history of doing that. Well, the, the comments that the CEO made, you know, that they're not selling the service at all anymore, kind of says it. 
Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it's an acquisition. They're, they're going to try to roll it into their current authentication routines and, and everyone else is, is going to get dropped. Probably so. It, it, and, it, and they probably wanted the, 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 the technology, the IP, the IP for the technology. That and probably the people, maybe an aqua hire. Yeah. Which those things tend to be. Could be. And they probably also have patents that they Salesforce would need to get. So yeah, just buy the company, get both. That's kind of that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Patents. Okay. Um. So Zoho, uh, Zoho CEO, um, was uh, gave some interview, and it was really interesting. Actually, he was talking about basically how SaaS is in a bubble, and he made some interesting points. I don't necessarily agree with all of them because obviously he's biased, but I haven't how, heard any of this. So. How SaaS is in a bubble, and now he hits on actually some of the points that we talk about with Salesforce in terms of just like their business model. Um, so, uh, so he, you know, he talks about these, you know, he says, you know, he claims that, you know, Zoho would be one of these, uh, much watched high flying billion dollar value unicorns if they were VC funded, but they're not VC funded. You know, they've always been an organic company. This kind of the little, what's the saying? The little, Little in the little engine that keeps on going, <laughs> you know, they're just like slowly growing. They're just Zoho. They're always there. And you know, I don't, I mean, they're, I think they're all, they're targeted like small and medium businesses. I, mm-hmm. I think they, I think they moved up market some, but they're just always there. And I guess they, they make money. Um, so they say they've, they've never raised any equity or debt funding on their path to, th- they have 13 million users now. Um, it has, they have several hundred thousand business customers and revenues are, their revenues are still rising more than 50% year over year. Of course they don't, they're not public. So it's not, not like that's an audited number or something. Right. Like check them, but that's what, that's what he claims. They also, he also said they have a hundred thousand customers in common with Google apps. So I guess Zoho integrates with Google, Google apps. Um, and they say they're winning sell, customers from Salesforce, um, at a rate of tens every day. It's interesting. Uh, but then he talks about how, you know, these, these SaaS companies, these, I think in the class of Salesforce, so Salesforce, Workday, um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, like the, the talent management and performance management and, and um, the new like ERP and accounting in the cloud and all that, all those things. So sure. he says, if you look into the way they're expanding, they're, they're spending five, you know, five to $10 on sales and marketing for every dollar they're spending on R and D. Um, if you look at a typical cloud company now, they may employ 50 engineers, or maybe even a hundred engineers, but they'll employ 500 people in sales and marketing. And that's one thing that we've talked about with Salesforce. And, and I don't know that those numbers aren't, aren't normal, but you know, Salesforce spends easily twice as much on probably more than that on sales and marketing as they do on, on R and D. Right. Which it, it's, which it's weird, you know, and, and, and also another interesting metric was the cost it takes for Salesforce to acquire a customer isn't even paid back in a full year's subscription revenue from that customer. So if they're not, again, if they're not exciting, like at least a two year deal, that could, that's probably going to be a loss unless they can retain that customer. Right. Um, which I think is a metric they've, it's not, it's not a healthy metric and something they, they need to fix somehow. And it also, you know, another disturbing trend is that their cost per acquisition is, is going up. Like their cost per customer, a customer acquisition is, seems to be going up, getting more expensive when, when they should be getting like what's called leverage. So at some point they should be big enough and have, you know, have enough traction in the marketplace and, and the technology built out enough that that cost per customer acquisition starts to come at least stabilizing, if not coming down. Right. Um, then he says, uh, for all the, for all the new model 
I'm not sure what he's talking about here. I guess just in general, for all the new model they claim to have created, they really go back to the very old model of doing business. And it's the, still the very old one. The sales guy chasing the big enterprise deal. And that's nothing with Salesforce. You know, you want to do it. You want to, you're interested in cloud or uh, sorry, in wave, talk to a salesperson. You know, you want to, you want to sign up for Salesforce. It's, I mean, you can get a developer account. And of course I've, I've, I've praised Salesforce about how, how they're open with developer accounts and, right. and information and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to, you know, buying Salesforce, it's, it's always, you know, talk to a salesperson. They don't, there's not a look at my pricing, you know, my pricing matrix and put in your credit card number and get started. It's, it's no, you got to talk to a salesperson and negotiate and, and this contract and faxes and, right. you know, it's like, it is, it is very old. And especially if you're a, if you're a bigger company, you know, they're going to have a local rep come out and take you to dinner and steaks and all that stuff. Um, whereas the, the Soho guy says, you know, the way I tell the customer is this, we are not charging you for the privilege of selling it to you. I thought that was really interesting. What he's talking about there is Salesforce spends, you know, half of their revenue on selling, right? Right. So that means that when you, you know, say you, your company spends $50,000 a year on salesforce.com, you're basically paying for the person that sold it to you. A very, a, a much smaller amount of that is actually the R&D that went into, you know, built, developing and hosting Salesforce. You're paying for that, that Salesforce, that guy that came out and spent time with you and came and gave, gave you all those demos and multiple meetings and took you out for dinner and, you know, to a show and took you to the, to the Mavs game and everything. Yeah. You were paying for all that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an interesting, it's a difference in model, right? Zoho's model is, well, we're just going to keep our costs cheap. You know, we're not going to have this enterprise Salesforce. Um, we're going to keep it simple and keep our costs low and keep, and, and therefore our, we're going to, and we're going to pass that on to customers. Yeah. But it, it also means that that type of organic growth is going to be very slow. It'll probably be fairly steady but it's going to be really slow. Yeah, it's going to take a long time to get to. Uh, it is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated <laughs> to being the fastest to 10 billion. Yeah. So, how do you, yeah. if you want to be the fastest to 10 billion, then yes, you just keep. You have to be it. out there. You have to be in, in everyone's face. You, ha- you, have to, you have to show that you are it. If you're looking for CRM, this is it. Yeah, and that just, and that just happens to cost, you know, a couple of billion dollars a year to do that in, it, in the current game with the current playing field, right? It's a couple, couple billion dollars a year you got to spend on that. That's a drop. In the and bucket. you also have to you also have to uh, compensate your employees with um, ridiculous amounts of stock. All right, that's the other thing that I don't, I don't know if Soho does that or not. But um, so uh, he says he rejects a commonplace argument that cloud companies are sacrificing short term profitability in favor of sales and marketing that builds market share. So that's that's what I think the the the, the common you know. Silicon Valley type model is, right. is don't worry about, you know, the Amazon, the Salesforce thing. Don't worry about, you know, probably being profitability. Now we're, we're trying to, you know, be you know, top of the market. Right. He says, well, one problem with that argument is when you get used to spending money that way, your culture is deeply infected. Your culture in- intrinsically changes and you cannot get back to the mindset of actually making money or being prudent. All of the conventional things that you need, you know, that you need to do to stay in business. Uh, you know, the rules of business have not been abolished. They remain the same. You've got to make more than what is spent. If you get used to spending lots of money, it goes haywire. Um, yeah. And, it, and again, it's interesting what the investor community nowadays lets you, for public companies, anyway, it would let you get away with. Like, look at Amazon. I mean, famously unpro- in, unprofitable, right? right? Still to this day, right? I think they started turning over profits every other quarter I don't know. I don't really follow Amazon, but, but I don't think it's that much. I, th- I And I... 
I don't know. I really think they still lose money. We'll have to, we'll have to do some follow-up on that. But, yeah. but they're valued at billions of dollars, and they've, and they've made many you know, millionaires, excuse me, many millionaires and a few billionaires you know, from, from not making any money. Kind of amazing. But they've also taken that money and done some really great stuff with it. They've built some really nice stuff. We have AWS. Yeah, but it's again, it's not it's not making any money, right? And so, from a just from an investment point of view, and for figuring out what what companies are worth, what they're valued at, what you should pay for their stock, and all that kind of stuff, again, it's not. It's like what is it? It used to be based on profit, you know, earnings per share, right? Well, if you have no earnings, what do you? We have to have other metrics now. Nowadays, there's other metrics. There's, you know, it's either based on you know, there's other ratios to look at and things like that. Deferred revenue. Well, see, Benioff should be out there shaming them on the one, one, one because they're not making profits, so they can't do that extra one. They're just doing one, oneing. Well, that would be even for Benioff. That would that would be hypocritical, <laughs> right? That would be a new level of hypocrisy if he did that. Because Come on, tech companies get to the one, 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 actually do right. three ones. You should, yeah. Maybe, maybe one, they one. should just change it to the one, one, right? Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe just one, one. <laughs> the eleven. <laughs> you know, you have a little peace sign. There you go. One, one. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I see, you know, so he says, okay, back to this. Our focus is to use our R&D resources as, as an advantage to lower our cost of customer acquisition. So they're, they're literally building technology to make it cheaper to get customers. Um, it's a strength of marketing through engineering. The product po- portfolio itself has the breadth and depth to attract customers. Um, yeah. And again, it's like, if, why, do you, why are you having to sell so hard? At what point do you achieve leverage that you don't have to spend so much money to sell your product? Why is your product not selling itself? I mean, it's, it's the internet, right? It's software as a service. What do you think of that question? I don't know. I, th- I still think it comes down to market awareness is being out there and th- letting people know that you're still there and you're still the top dog, even if, even if you are, wh- which Salesforce is. Right. I mean, you still have to be out there saying, yes, we're still top. Yes, we're still, we're still acquiring major you know, enterprise customers and we're, we're everywhere it should be a no brainer for you to, to have us in your, in your yeah. organization. True. It's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of that, you know, the, the histrionic, you know, person who has to, you know, get themselves all dolled up and, and hot and fancy all the time. Just, just to, just to prove, Hey, like I'm still, I'm, yeah. I'm still the hot one. Don't forget about me. It's all PR. It's all <laughs> making sure that you're, you're still out there, that you still have that brand awareness. Yeah. Uh, so then he talks about Salesforce. He says Salesforce has become the SAP, uh, the Siebel or the SAP in that market. Um, they've invested more in whole sales and marketing side than in, in the product. We talked about that. Um, most of the product expansion came through acquisition, which they really have not integrated well. If you look at um, Desk.com, the new marketing cloud, which is the exact target, uh, Heroku has never been integrated in the Salesforce experience, uh, which says that they're having trouble keeping all these separate pieces meshed together. Um, it's always a massive technology challenge. It's not easy. Um, but to make up for it, they're expanding. They're expanding sales and marketing. Um, but that strategy is uh, is only short term, and the gains tend to not be durable. But anyway, I mean yeah, that's it, what that's a, what, that's his theory, and and yeah. I think it's interesting. I'm not saying he's necessarily right. He's, you know, he's obviously biased. I mean, he's right. he chose his business model, and it's working for him. But that's what he knows, and you know, it's one of these things. Where like at some point, and again, back to the leverage thing. Like some some point, Salesforce is going to kind of round the top of that hill. And at some point, it starts becoming a downhill thing. Versus, right now, they're still pushing uphill. Right, they're still having right. to they're still having to invest um, 
more more money just to just to you know whatever break even or not even break even and and they're running very close to to that edge of becoming you know another SAP or Oracle or or, the, or Microsoft who had a hard time transitioning from their old models into something newer. Yeah. And you know, their technology got stale. I mean, Salesforce is constantly coming out with new features and, and all those, all those things through acquisitions. But I remember a time with Oracle um, when, with their fusion products, I think it was fusion. Anyways, it was, it was all these separate pieces of applications that weren't integrated well. They kind of function so together. It's kind of ironic. They called it fusion, isn't it? I know. <laughs> but I remember we we're evaluating them for, for um, I forgot what company it was, but we were evaluating for them to use. And we had all these different components and pieces to it, but they, they were awkward in the way they connected to each other. They, they weren't one cohesive unit. It wasn't like turning this feature on. It was like this separate application that had to be bolted onto this. Yeah. And Microsoft had, had a similar model as well with, with the, the way they acquired things and integrated them. It, they were still separate. And you kind of communicated with some clunky integration or middleware to get those things to communicate. And I think that's, I mean, that's just part of the technology. It's, it's just, you're never going to fully integrate, you know, you can slowly over time and whatever, but they're separate code bases. They have different architectures and, and, and concepts. I don't know. It's just hard. And they, you know, of course, not even to mention things like UI and stuff. Right. And sometimes that can be the easier part. It actually is just making the UIs look more the same, but. Um, it's interesting. So if this, if this, you know, SAS bubble does burst, um, Salesforce could get, they're in a position. I mean, they're vulnerable. I think you get really hurt by that. Whereas someone like Zoho will be, they'll be just fine. Right. They'll be just doing their thing, making their money. They're not, they're not, they're not over leveraged. They don't, they're not, they are not really depend, highly dependent on like increasing revenue rates and, you know, short term interest rates and things like that too, in order to even avoid bankruptcy. Right. Um, of course, I have to disclaim, Oracle, Salesforce, and SAP are Diginomica premier partners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was uh, Phil Wainwright, which uh, he's an old school dude, man. He's uh, been reading his stuff for a long time. I'm trying to think of who he, he used to work for like Computer Reseller News or maybe it was um, one of the ZD properties. I can't remember. Hmm. Just one of those names that like, Pops up, yeah. Just like I've God, this I see this guy's name. I've seen his name for fifteen years. That's Zoho. Yeah, just I mean, it wasn't really about Zoho. It was more just about just this business, right? And the model, and yeah, how you've had these different avenues, and just that that the Silicon Valley culture of you know just keep keeping stay you stay in investment mode. It's and it's. It's it, not it definitely cl- does feel like a bubble, and it, it and Dreamforce doesn't. I mean, think of, I mean, they they're getting one hundred and fifty thousand people to to go out there and cram one hundred fifty thousand people into a small part of a small peninsula, and 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 pay you know thousands of dollars for the privilege to do that per person. I mean, that kind of smells like a bubble. I don't know. I mean, the conference is what it is. I mean, it's their major conference event. There's so many people going. I mean, the only way they can control attendance is, is by upping the price of it. John, cruise ship, giant cruise ship. You know about the cruise ship, right? I, I mean, it's starting. You didn't know about the cruise ship? No. Oh my gosh. They booked a giant, one of the giant cruise ships and it's just going to f- float like right out in the water off the coast, I guess, because there's not enough hotel rooms. 
Really? Yes. And you can, yeah, it was, um, I think it was even, I think it's available now. They, the, the rooms might, might be all booked up, but it was available through the Dreamforce website when you register. Wow. I mean, I don't know. It's starting to feel like a little bit of a bubble, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be crowded. It's it's going to, we're going to, we might not all fit in that one little room to, to watch Benioff speed. We might have to have a bunch of little satellite uh, viewings. I mean, just, you know, just the lavishness, the, the, of of all of it, right? But that's 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 a party, and, and that's that, no, I agree. But it's but it's a you know it's a I don't know how much how much do you think Dreamforce costs? It's a it's a probably in the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of a party, right? I mean, I'm sure you know that plus just in, you know never ending acquisitions and and no you know no profit in sight. I mean, it's just it you add everything up and it it's uh, you got to keep going though, right? You can't you can't stop and look around and say. You can't you can't look to see how you know yeah, well, look, you can't what look happened behind to you, Salesforce right? and Salesforce stock where they decided oh, we're not going to dream no. do Dreamforce this year right oh, we're, it's not going to be as big as last year everyone will just see it as a decline and they'll drop the stock price right. I mean it'll, it'll or, just or we're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna start trying to be profitable so we're gonna quit putting money into, you know we're gonna quit putting money into top line growth yeah. and then we'll get all the doom and gloom articles is this the end for Salesforce or the beginning of the end or so they have there's no choice but to keep pushing the way they've right. been pushing that's yeah. really it's the only option. Because you have to, ha- it's the inertia that you have to keep building. You can't afford to lose any of it. And there's also the paranoia aspect. Like, that's not even, it's not even a reality. Like, you know, if we, qu- if we quit pushing, then someone's going to come eat our lunch, right? Well, who's really going to, at least from the CRM perspective, I mean. It's always possible. It, it is. And there's. I mean, that's, that's the same mindset that got, you know, Oracle and Microsoft and, and SAP in trouble. That's true. You know, who's, we're the top. Who's, 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 no one's even on the radar. Come on. And, and here comes Salesforce. And a minute ago, you said something about how Salesforce keeps, you know, adding, they keep adding features, right? That's whatever. Um, but on some of the basic CRM stuff, I mean, there are other CRM systems that are way nicer than Salesforce. If you're talking about just CRM, right? That do email right. better, that integrate calls better, that just flow better. It's a better UI. It's a better, you know, more consistent cross device experience, all that, right? I mean, there, there are way better options than Salesforce for if that's all you want. But their technology is young. I mean, if you gave them the same time frame and the same, say, dollars and all that kind of stuff, they'd eventually end up where Salesforce is. It's just it's just the nature of the beast of that type of company. I don't know. I think I think Mark had a. I think Mark's a little different. I think he had a, a vision that was bigger than just Salesforce. It was bigger than just CRM. I think he's always had the vision of building a platform. And I think a lot of these other little CRM companies, the ones like I was just referring to, I don't think they necessarily have that. They're just. That's all they're That's doing true. is CRM. That that is a big distinction. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, let's get into wave. Wave. Let's, let's see how far. Where are we at? We're okay. We're at thirty-five minutes. Thirty minutes, something like that. So I got thirty minutes to cover wave. Yeah. Oh. Where's my intro, man? I don't have, I don't have an intro. <laughs> I don't have wave. We spent like an hour looking, listening to wave sounds. We're about to fall asleep over here. You don't have a wave clip for me. Um, sorry, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> why don't we have a wave clip, Jeremy? Uh, you know why? Because when at Dreamforce last year, when they introduced Wave and the big wave sound was happening, some whoever was recording the video was hitting some button on their Mac, and it kept was kept making the <laughs> the beeping noise. It made that ding ding. Yes, they they tainted the audio. Yeah. So I'm not going to use it. So picky about your audio. Yeah. So yeah, I we. We, I, 
I've spent probably more more time with it than you have, but we we got a chance to play around with Wave. Yeah, so we we um we will not disclose our sources and methods, but we did get access to Wave. <laughs> <laughs> and you've used it and I have not. Yeah, and, and I, I haven't I haven't spent a great deal amount of time with it. I did lose some sleep over it, just trying to mess around with it, play with it, figure some things out, but I haven't explored every feature that I can. <laughs> That's why you were tired today. <laughs> it is. It really is. I was up uh, I was up all night dreaming about analytics and, and everything. You have like you know, spinning animated pie charts in your in your dreams. I do. That was fun. <laughs> But I can't call it wave. That's how you know it's you're not that's wave. how you know you're a nerd. It's analytics cloud, man. I know. Is it, it changed on us again. Is it is wave officially gone or was that just a kind of a code? I mean that's how they I that's think it's how officially they, gone. That's how they branded it at Dreamforce. I mean, it is, but I and everywhere I see wave or wave analytics cloud, you know, you can tell they're trying to phase out the term wave. I think I think it was a great way to introduce it, but I think you know, they want to stick with the cloud theme. And so they're going to, they're going to call it analytics cloud. But you said something the other day that was, it was very true is that, well, that's confusing because didn't they come out with analytics and that's what they were calling the report builder. That's what reports and dashboards used to be called as analytics. So I don't know what they'll call those now. So this is just an an upgrade to that. This is the analytics cloud. See, those weren't in their own cloud. This has its own cloud. Yeah. It's very cloudy. (laughs) It's too many clouds. That's <laughs> where people think there is some kind of technology construct known as a cloud. That's what uh, <laughs> you read half the journal. There journalists. are a bunch of balloons up in the the sky. That's where I guess Salesforce has up to seven clouds now. Can you believe that? I'm like, guys, you really you really don't you realize that cloud is not an actual technology construct, right? <laughs> no, Salesforce has seven. <laughs> They're up to seven. They just added one. <laughs> I, I, I'm not surprised. It fits in well with Salesforce's theme. In fact, with with Analyst Cloud, we have what's called apps. And I really don't like the way they do this because in Salesforce you have apps, but what are apps in Salesforce? It's a collection it's a of tabs. Of tabs right? <laughs> what are what are and when they describe apps for analytics, they're, 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 they describe it as oh, it's just a bunch of folders that have you know a place for you to put your everything that's associated with that folder. Is, you know your your data sets, your lenses, your dashboards. That collection becomes an app. And if I could get a chance to sit down with Salesforce's branding and naming team, I think I would just sit there and go. Really? Really? That's all I'd say. That's all that needs to be said. Why do, why do we still act surprised, though? Why do they drag us through this? The branding, the renaming, the bad names, the names you can't trademark, therefore you have to get a, di- a different name and all this stuff. It's like, we were having these same discussions 10 years ago. Remember when they came out with Force and it was, what was it? Um, Apex Force or it was something weird and they dropped it and now it just became Force and then there was the App Exchange and it was, it was just weird. Well, you know what they say about Salesforce's names, right? What? If you don't like them, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they say it's about like, our Texas like, weather. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to think that was a thing, but it turns out no matter where you go, everyone says that about where they live. Well, you know what they say about uh, Baltimore weather? If you don't like it, just wait. Like Everyone says that. Yeah. And here, I thought Texas had some special weather thing. We are special. There's <laughs> no place like Texas. Okay. All right. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into some details. I th- I mean more details than we've been able to before because we actually can see it. And, and there's a lot of documentation out there if you look for it. You know, there's 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 stuff coming out on the help documents. There's stuff coming out on the developer site. Look under Analytics Cloud. You're not going to find it under Wave. It's going to say Analytics Cloud. Um, so if you're looking for documentation there, you can find it. Um, 
Yeah, so there's there's documentation in in the normal Salesforce help. So if you lo- if you're logged in and you go to help, right, right. it's uh, there in Analytics Cloud. And then also on the developer, what is it, developer.salesforce.com? Right. There's this, there are PDFs and things you can download that are the more reference and kind of hardcore technical stuff. Right. Well, they're still, they're still not as technical. They're still very high level documents. I saw like formats of the, like the, the import APIs documented and the yeah, formats those of were, stuff. That was a sample of being able to import, you know, flat file information. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but. That's so, that. I think that's probably about as technical as it gets. So we don't get any kind of white papers to discuss the backend architecture or anything that like that with with those documents. So, so it turns out you can get the documentation for Wave. You just can't get Wave unless you're unless you happen to be in some in part of the elite milieu of Salesforce, right? You're either I, I won't name any groups, but you have to be special, either a big client or special for some reason, right? If you're just a because and I tested this, we're I, special. I reached out to some Salesforce people. I Asked on Twitter, tagged, tagged Salesforce, and said, "Hey, I'd like to get uh, Wave in my in my dev, dev org. Um, you know, I'd like to. I mean, I'm a. This is what I do for a living. I'm a Salesforce developer. I'd like to. I'd like to learn Wave so I can uh, help my customers with it. Um, this is actually I, last night. I, I tweeted this. It's like around six or seven. Well, like at nine thirty last night, my phone rings. And I'm like, what the heck? And I noticed it's a it's a San Francisco phone number four one five. And I thought, I wonder if this is Salesforce. So I answered it. Sure enough, it's Salesforce. It's and I said, I'm like, it's kind of late. I was like, are you in San Francisco? Oh no, I'm in India. He's like, we just route our we route our calls through through uh, San Francisco, so we get the four one five area code. I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> so I guess for him it was in the middle of the day. But no, he was he um he saw my tweet and he was using Radian six. <laughs> <laughs> So Did he, you ask him that, or you're assuming? No, no you know. So uh, we had a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter, uh-huh. and it was, you know, how if you if you're tweeting through um, a third party application that's using the API, they have that application has to be registered with Salesforce and or with uh, Twitter, and and so it'll say, you know, this person tweeted from Tweetbot or whatever. Oh, What's okay. that? It says Radiant Six. Right. Um, but yeah, so he calls me out of nowhere, and that's another weird thing too, like. But you got a phone call. That's pretty awesome. Well, out of a tweet, it's, it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, but it was jarring. And the, and I know Radian Six. It's like, Radian Six is it's one of the most advanced tools for interacting and and you know catching all this information that's flying across social media a million miles an hour, right? Right. And that's cool. But it's super jarring when you when you have a just a quick little Twitter back and forth with someone, and then your phone rings, and it's at nine thirty at night, right? Right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You know, Kids are in bed. You're on little, the couch watching a, your shows. A little, maybe, maybe a little glass of wine. Or, you know, exactly. And, and you know, a, a little something that you know, maybe just ask. A, hey, you know, you mind if I call, if I give you a call? That that would have been nice. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's so why I have like a 20 minute con- phone conversation with this guy, and he keeps uh, twi- tweeting me live links while we're on the phone. So okay, he says, okay, go to this link, go to this link, go to this link, and and he you know sends me the partner portal. So I'm logged in, and I'll, and I'm like, well, I. I guess I like, I don't think you understand. I, I would like to get wave. Like I don't have wave. Oh, so he was trying to send you to maybe all the places where there's documentation or what? I don't know if he didn't understand my question. And there was a little bit of a language barrier. could have been the case. Um, if he didn't understand the question or if he was just trying to placate me for a while, just long enough that I'm like, okay, like I would get lost in documentation and, and forget about the fact that I actually wanted wave or, or what? I wouldn't believe that because why would he call you? If I, I was in that position, I'd be like, eh, I don't want to deal well, with that guy. It's his job. Like he has to call people who who tweet at Salesforce with a question. He has to, you know, maybe they have a policy. Like you have, you know, they probably have the, all these guys on Radiant Six, and you've got to 
you got to address this. I mean, Salesforce I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to ask like 10 different questions on Twitter and see which one gets a phone Salesforce call. is a customer company, right? <laughs> it is. Okay. Obviously, they called you. I know. <laughs> They're just proving the point. Well, except that it was a meaningless call. They couldn't actually follow through with what I wanted. So they couldn't give you a wave. So they could not give me a wave. So he did say that. Um, he did say that Wave is it's technically impossible right now for them to put it in a dev org. Mm. They're working on it. It's not there yet. And this, so this is you know reason number five hundred sixty two. While Wave really isn't ready for prime time yet, it's still in it's still in beta mode. I think. Um, but 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 I also said okay, so well I've got an enterprise org. Let me let me uh, let me let's put it in my enterprise org then. And he says, well. Yeah, you're going to have to talk to your AE about that. Or you know, you know what he did? He sent me to salesforce.com slash analytics something or another. And I go there and I click on the, you know, hey, get get this or whatever. You and get it, the form. I get the form. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, this is just going to go to a salesperson. I'm going to get a call from some random salesperson. That's They're not going to be able to help me. I don't want to talk to sales. Back to, back to that whole enterprise model. Right. <laughs> you know? I don't want to contribute to Salesforce's selling and marketing costs going up. <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to keep them lean, man. Don't, don't have these expensive people call me for a phone yeah. call, you know? Um. But, you know, bottom line, no, he couldn't, he said, you know, well, you're, you're just going to have to talk to an AE. They're the only ones who can do this. But even, so what if I call an AE? Are they going to be able to put, just put? Um, no, I think they're being very wave. careful and very selective about who's going who's gonna to start so, highlighting so this. My point. They're still very, very protective of who gets, who actually gets away right now. Yeah. Have you seen um, any in-depth reports, like, from... You know, anyone covering Wave or anything yet? No, I think a lot of the content is still very much high level, and it's a lot of s- similar stuff that we heard at Dreamforce when it was announced. Right. So, so the the journalist and analyst community still only knows about Wave what Salesforce wants them to know about Wave at this point, as far as I can tell. Yeah, but I don't. I don't that almost sounds like they're trying to keep them from having information. I, I don't. I don't think that the information is there. It's not. Or that, no one's asking for it. I just don't think Salesforce is ready for it to be really taken apart and analyzed. Maybe, maybe I, I, I think it's, it's going to be a good tool based on what I've seen so far. I think it's going to be a good tool for what it, for what it yeah. can do. There are things that it can't do. Well, that so you really like, you saw a lot of stuff that you really liked and you, and right. And it, and, and even the demos we saw at Dreamforce looked great. Yeah. And it and, was, it was a big contrast from my experience of getting into process builder and lightning and those kind of components where everything didn't feel polished. Everything didn't feel you know, like there was thought put into it. You, you were kind of drug out of Salesforce and you were kind of in this different mode. Um, I didn't get that at all from from this. And this kind of does take you out of Salesforce. It does have its own unique UI. But in the header bar, you still have access to your profile. You're, you have your name up there and you can click on the down arrow. You get access to your profile. You can click to set up. It's a link back into Salesforce, basically, but it, but it, it I is, saw it. It, it looked, it looked, oh, you know, it's, it's reasonable, but right? But you feel like you're still in Salesforce because you still have access to that menu and that yeah. system. You still have access to your dropdown for your apps and things like that, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. And as soon as you click on that, you're switched out and you're back into the Salesforce mode. So it felt like there was a little bit more thought put into that. It feels like it was a little more polished. The, U, the UI is really great. I really like it. Well, I noticed it uses like the, it's a lot of the same fonts as uh, Salesforce one. It does. And it's very minimal in terms of its look and feel. Um, some of the buttons were kind of weird in the way they're rendered. And yeah, it's that. almost like there's some kind of shadow inset on them that shouldn't be there. Um, and I don't know if that's just an artifact or something, but uh, overall, the look and feel of it's really great. It's really responsive in terms of just, you know, clicking and, and being fast. You know, I'm not talking about like responsiveness, but 
It's definitely lots of client side rendering, right? Yes. Like client side templating. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's and it's very clean too. It's right. I mean, it's almost it's almost to the point of being a little barren. It's so clean. It's it's literally like a blank slate. It is, but you can quickly fill that blank slate up with a lot of stuff, right. which I did just playing around and testing things out. Um, it was actually surprisingly intuitive for the type of tool that it that it is and the type of complexity inherent with it. It's really intuitive. I really enjoyed using it. Uh, we'll take data sets, for example, which is kind of what you start out with. Um, you technically start out with apps because when you create data sets and lenses and everything else, they all go into an app. And we, we mentioned that apps are basically just a folder, a container. I would rather they be called a topic or something along that line, something more container-like than an app. I don't know what this obsession with apps is. I don't see the obsession with overloading terms, right? Right. Mm. But it, I, on the analytics application itself, when you can switch between apps basically so you can create these apps and you can switch between them if you have access to that app and all that kind of stuff so i'm wondering if that's where it came from is is more of a mobile kind of paradigm so and, to speak and that so you meant but a minute ago you mentioned that you still have that drop down that you can get back into salesforce other things what are those things in that drop down called apps <laughs> which are a completely different other thing right it's yeah like, this is ridiculous yeah but you know creating a data set was was really easy um i selected an object I, there's a plus button. I selected that and I could see all the fields. I could do a check all in all the fields. I could do a find to find the field I want and check it. Um, and this was after you brought in some data from Salesforce or. Yeah. You, okay. when you, when, yeah, you're right. Whenever, whenever you go to set up a data set, you're presented with some options. And right now the only two options you have just kind of out of the box is connecting to your Salesforce data, or you can import a CSV file. Um, and that's the CSV file does have some extra requirements i'll say to being able to use that yeah, in the, csv in, so csv has no metadata so right you can't right, tell it's what raw text right you know um, it's so you have to tell them via like a json file right which i hadn't done yet so i don't have much to say about that but essentially yeah you upload a, a csv file and you upload a json file that describes the data the metadata for that so if you have a field that's a text you know your metadata will say this is a text field and it's this big and and this is the the name for it and this is a unique name for it and then same thing for you know currency fields or anything else you have to tell it this is what type of field it is you know it's sad we went through over a decade of just being beat upside the head with a certain technology that was supposed to solve this problem of date transferring data between systems and and keeping the schema structure all that intact and you know keeping the data very uh, structured and, and keeping all the integrity and what yet at the same time being human readable Mm-hmm. Right. We were, we've been beat upside of the head with that for years and no one's ever liked it, but it was supposed to solve all these problems. What technology was that? XML. Yep. And, I, and, and what technology can you, can you not use to import data into wave? XML, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm fine with. I, I love JSON over XML. Yeah. I'm, I have, I have books that are three inches thick on XML, maybe two or three of them. Do you have any books I have on JSON? None. You know why? Because it's simple. I can understand it. I it's well, easily it's easily understood. You're comparing apples to oranges. I mean, Jason is not supposed to solve the problems that XMLs. I mean, but it's much more portable. It's 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 a much better technology for that. It's certainly easier to work with, and because a lot of times XMLs is overkill, right? And it's you know, Jason's much less verbose. What what sucked was getting beat upside the head with all kinds of complicated XML that was what was um, that was way more than what was necessary, right? Right. You know, think about, think about even Salesforce's SOAP API, 
I mean, even that is really quite overboard. I mean, well, it's all XML based. It's, it's XML, it's SOAP, it's WSDL, it's reliable messaging, it's all this stuff that, like, turns out we don't need. Like, give me an HTTP endpoint and I'll shoot some JSON at it. Yeah. And I can do that by hand. It's super easy. It's, I don't even need any special tools. I'll stick uh, in the, right. the URL and I'll see the raw data. Exactly. And the whole idea of, like, well, you, and the nice thing about SOAP, though, is you can, you can validate your, your message against the schema before you send it. Like, no one, no one does that. No one validates their thing against the schema, the schema before they send it out, you know? Yeah. All they do are tools that are pre-programmed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So yeah, I really enjoyed the process of building data sets. Um, it's kind of weird because when once you create a data set, when you go into the data set, when you click on the icon, you're actually kind of put into a lens mode. You're actually kind of creating a lens at that point. You have to click edit to go back in to edit the data flow is what they're calling that. So define what a lens is. So a lens is... Um, all of your is your is that data, raw data kind of filtered. In fact, let me let me read you the definition. It's a particular view into a data set's data. It's where you do exploratory analysis and visualization, and that's directly from their documentation. So it's it's just a view. So if you if you if you're familiar with table and view construct, data set is your table, and lenses are your views of that data. So you can massage it, explore it, chop it up, group it, filter it, all that kind of stuff. So whenever you click on a data set and you're not in edit mode, because whenever you hover over it, you get an edit. And this is going to be really hard to explain because this is such a visual tool that you kind of have to see it. In fact, reading the documentation before I got to actually play with it was difficult. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping I'm able to kind of convey a lot of this stuff in a way that makes sense. But essentially, once you create one, you have your icon that represents your data set. You can either edit it and that puts you in the data flow view, or you can click on it and you're you, you're not in the data set view. You're kind of in a lens view. And that's where you can set up your groupings, your measurements, your filters, um, select how you want the data visualized kind of at a default level, because really with the analytics, you can change all of that on the fly, um, both in the web application and in the mobile application, um, which is really nice and really fun to use. There are a few things that aren't supported in it that I found. Um, I'll get to that, but um, for the most part, it works really well. The charts are really great. They, the transitions are great, and they're really fast and smooth. You know, there's no choppiness to it. The, the responsiveness of the data now, I wasn't dealing with 6 million rows or anything like that, but for the data that I was dealing with, it was really fast and responsive, and I, I enjoyed using it. Um, so you just save it, create lenses. You can share those. So you can share those, and, you know, you put them in an app. You have your private app or you can put them in an app that's shared and you know certain people have access to. So you can create like a marketing app and you have all your lenses for marketing and you have your sales and you have your lenses for sales. And then those people who have access to that data can manipulate that data even further. They they might be in they won't be able to edit any of the raw data, the data set itself, but they can manipulate all that kind of stuff. Um, and then once you create your lenses, you can start getting into dashboards. You can start taking snapshots of your lenses, you know, all the filtering and everything that you put into that, and that makes it available to a dashboard. And then with the dashboard, you have this kind of canvas, which is much nicer than, say, the Salesforce dashboard. Um, it's much more free-floating, so you can kind of position things where you want. There's a lot of different components that you can attach to the same lens. Um, and so whenever you manipulate that, say it's a toggle, for a data set or something, then anything related to that will also be affected. Yeah. Um, and it was really easy. It wasn't super intuitive. I was able to figure it out pretty easily, but that was just because I was kind of clicking around. 
Um, you essentially select a component type. In this case, it was a chart. While that's kind of highlighted, then you have to click on your lens from your you know tree view or whatever you're calling it. Um, and then that data would be activated within that chart. So it's kind of weird. It's not like you're selecting it saying, okay, use this lens in some kind of properties dialogue. You're actually having to physically click. Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that's maybe a negative for this tool itself is it's not really accessible um, keyboard wise or anything like that. It's still very much a point and click tool. Yeah, I think that's part. I don't think it's just the nature of it, though. I yeah, because you you can imagine if you're like I can imagine an iPad. I don't know if they have an iPad app yet, but if they did, like you know, dra- dragging things onto the onto the canvas and, and dragging, moving them around, and and maybe you know, pinching to zoom and all that kind of stuff, right? So that's yeah, that's all no keyboard whatsoever. So right. So um, the other thing is that it's there was no mode, there was no responsiveness to it. So when you're creating the dashboard. You can make the dashboard as big as you want and as wide as you want. Um, but there wasn't anything that said, okay, now I want to design it for a tablet and now I want to design it for a phone so that you can line up your dashboards a certain way. Yeah. Um, right now it just kind of, when you, when you use that dashboard from a mobile app, you get kind of a really scaled down version. It's mm. all kind of still there in the same position, but it's really scaled down and squished. Okay. Um, you can click on them and drill into them and you get the full view in your mobile view, which is really nice. Um, but I, I think there, that's probably coming is the ability to say, okay, now this is my desktop canvas for the dashboard and this is my tablet and this is my f- mobile device and maybe even a watch Yeah, at that point. Yep. Oh, that was a lot. So, so most of what you're doing though was, was, um, like if you would be like, re- would require the builder license, right? Yes. Right. That's all builder. And so that's someone who's in order to do that. You, you have to have some kind of like data experience, probably. Well, it's accessible enough that if you're used to creating reports, you know, if you're that type of person that can create reports, create a lot of filters, group data, um, you can use this tool and it's really accessible to you. Right. right. Um, yeah. And so if, you, if, you, if you're comfortable with, you know, rep- creating reports and dashboards and views or things like yeah. that, then, you know, you, you'd probably be comfortable with this. Yeah. I, I think that's a big plus for this tool. I mean, it, it's an expensive tool, but as a company, you're not going to have to go out and hire someone with a, a master's in data science to run this tool. Right. I mean, you can, you nor, can take your admin, train them up, or they right. might not, they might even be already be able to know it because they've done so many nor, reports. Nor will you get the insights that that type of data science would give you. <laughs> True. Yeah. But wave isn't that wave. No, I right. view as a strictly visual analytics, meaning you can take this data, massage it, visualize it to find patterns, um, see trends, but you're not doing any kind of, we'll say statistical an- analytics on it, which is, you know, kind of forecasting or trying to see where that trend is going, um, which is a whole nother level. And Salesforce isn't asking questions for you that you didn't even know to ask. And, and you can't even really, and, and I, this will be something that we don't have time today, but to get into like figuring out like, so where does this fit in the, in the landscape, the current landscape of all these, you know, BI tools. Right. Right. Um, you, you can't ask it, you know, well, what should I be doing in order to increase sales? Like you have to click through and you have to get all your lenses right and do all that yourself. Right. You have to, with your own eyeballs start, you know, spelunking through data. Right. And now this is a good tool to do it. It looks good and you can visualize and most humans are pretty, visual we learn visually um yeah. and, and and try to answer those questions yourself right 
But this tool at this point is not going to answer those for you, nor is it going to know which questions to ask that you don't even know to ask. Right. Yeah. This is very much kind of, is what I'm doing today working? Am I seeing, are the numbers where I need them to be type situation? Or it's, I, we have this demographic customers, they're buying this, these type of things. Is there a pattern here, which right. could help you kind of focus your selling a bit more? Um, but there's nothing kind of statistically that's saying if you if you continue with this path, with this group of criteria, this numbers, these variables, you're going to end up X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I think this is a tool that you can use to help figure out what, but not necessarily why or how. Right. Yeah. It's not yet. Or in, in you know, I'm trying to put this into rigid categories just for kind of discussion and whatever purposes, um, you know. I'm sure I'm sure people could make an you know arguments to the to the other you know in the other direction but again I think maybe next week or some other time like we can talk more about like how do these how does where does wave really fit in to you know to the what what is everyone else doing and where do they fit in and you know are they are they behind or what you know are they trying to compete with you know these types of things or these other types of things and also like what do those other things cost I'm really curious right yeah because wave is expensive um, the, but, the kind of comparisons with the other tools out there. But mean. it turns out these other things are expensive too. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're all very this expensive. Is, this is, yes. We're getting into expensive. And you know what? It opens up a can of worms. Uh, well, uh, we'll say Pandora's box. Is that a more positive uh, No, metaphor? it's very negative. <laughs> oh, it it's is very like, negative. It's meant to be negative. Okay. Um, worms aren't that negative. But no. Worms are kind of cool. You know, you can go fishing with them or. <laughs> yeah. Because with my experience and especially with data, and I know this is yours too, Customers do not know what's in their data. And you put a tool like this in front of them and they're start they're gonna start to see what's right and what's really wrong with their data. That's a really good point. And I meant to ask you this earlier. Does Wave, to your knowledge so far, have any kind of like automatic data healing or detection of data issue type of things? No. Okay. No, there isn't. You're still on reliance on third party tools to do that kind of stuff. Um so Wave assumes your data is good. That's actually good and right. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of things you're going to have to do. Um, so not only are you going to incur the cost of getting analytics and getting the builders and all those kind of things, eventually, if not immediately, you're going to start seeing some bad data and you're going to need a way to deal with that. Now, if you're just dealing with Salesforce data, you're still going to have to deal with, you know, making sure zip codes are correct, making sure addresses in cities, if you're trying to do demographic things taking an address and trying to get a, maybe a longi- latitude, longitude out of it, those type of things. So yeah. you're going to need to invest in some data quality tools, not only up front, but to kind of go back and fix the data that you have. If you're trying to combine data across multiple systems, now you're getting into trying to manage duplication, data duplication, or data, you know, all data overlap. So you'll have to invest in tools that kind of help you manage that and kind of hope, hope to prevent that. Otherwise, your, your data and your analytics are going to be skewed quite a bit. Yep. So it does kind of, it's one of those things where you start out small, but it can quickly get into a very expensive enterprise to, to try and to get the right kind of data out, quality right. data. Yep. Um, when, I, when I went out and researched um, other ways of getting data into analytics, you know, you have all the middle world tools, most of the big name ones, Boomi and Informatica, um, who were some of the other ones? I, IBM was on there, interestingly enough. Um, yeah, I wonder what I wonder what the product IBM product. That I wanted was. to research that and find out because IBM's really big in analytics as oh, well. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, IBM their stuff has they'll have things like in I'm, I'm not sure exactly which product it is. Maybe it's Cognos, one of the others, but like 
you know, you'll uh, you'll pull in a ma- massive data set and it will literally pop up a question that says, hey, it looks like we found 232 duplicates. Okay, if we go ahead and take care of those, and you say yes or no, yeah. right? And so they're actually bringing like these advanced features, again, to normal business users. They're empowering business users and pretty awesome. And, you know, IBM's got some crazy technology. Yeah, They're bringing in like a lot of the Watson stuff. Um, yeah. And this is, again, where Salesforce, like, I'm not sure if they're trying to play in that area or not. Again, that's... I don't think they are. Maybe I, not. I think when it comes to I bet data it, quality, but keep in mind, you, it's hard to say that they're not. Maybe not right now, but I'm not sure that they're not. You know, I don't think they might want to go in that direction. Like, th- th- I mean, Wave is still a baby. It's a baby, right? Right. So, and we're, it's it's just been born, and like we're wiping all the goo off of it, and you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're trying to make sure it can breathe and they can actually drink some milk. You it's know, got it's got that weird colored poop. Maconia, maconia. Something only parents would, would exactly. understand. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when you have a baby, you're going to deal with weird colored poop yes. for a while. <laughs> At least for a day or two. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is right now. It's, you know, but I, I think there's definitely a, a trajectory, a, a vision for this that's probably m- much bigger than what it is. Because right now it's just it's kind of pretty charts and graphs. And, again, if you know what you're doing, you can, it, allows, it allows you to kind of fly through your data, right, and, yeah. and see things. Yeah, and that's but where I think that's, that's just the beginning, right? I think that's why these these tools and you know you have companies like IBM and Informatica, Informatica on there um, as early adopters of this platform because it's a great way for them to sell their other services, their master data management services, their data quality services um, beyond just integrating, you know, moving data from one point to to another. It's another thing that's interesting is is other than the fact that your Salesforce org data is like basically like a built-in connector to Wave. Mm-hmm. Wave is basically has nothing to do with Salesforce, right? The right. technology stack is completely different. It's probably, you know, it's, it's just on its own. It's got its own mobile app. Yeah, it's I mean, it's separate. the UI is different. The architecture is different. Yeah. Everything is com- basically completely separate from Salesforce. I wonder, if, will they sell Wave as a standalone product? Salesforce, you know, analytics cloud? I think they would. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think so. I don't know if, I don't know if that's how the how things work, though. I mean, to, to you know, to be courteous about it. I mean, if you're going to pay what Wave costs, they should throw in Salesforce for you know <laughs> as a as a bonus. Yeah. Well, there you go. They'll just be the the new Wave uh, platform <laughs> with CRM, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, By way, for the low low price of forty thousand dollars a month, and we'll throw in CRM for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, data quality aside, we know that's going to be an issue. That's going to be something. And, you know, if you're consulting and you know you're going to get into this business, be prepared to have some vendors lined up to help with data quality because you're going to need them. You're going to need to recommend someone like Informatica who can help massage data. Um, I I didn't know about this. um, And I don't know how I didn't know about this. I think it's been on my radar, but I didn't really know about it. So there was an Informatica Springbok tool. Have you ever heard of that project? It became Informatica Rev. And it's this really cool little tool that takes a raw set of data, looks at it, and tries to figure out what that data is. So if it's an address, it'll it'll try to figure it out and say, oh, here's this address. Do you want us to validate this, fix it, clean it up? If it sees that something looks like zip codes, it'll go through and say, hey, I think this is a zip code. Do you want me to fix it and clean it up? And the same thing with duplicates, kind of like what you mentioned for IBM. So it's kind of their own little version of it. Um, but it's really slick. It's yeah. really cool. Um, I've seen other vendors. Uh, Pervasive had... Uh, I can't. I don't remember what they called it, but they had a similar mm-hmm. type of thing. I don't know if it. I don't know if it went to like complex data types, but it would look at your, 
you know, your columns or your fields or whatever they were and say, it'd say, oh, this is probably like a string of up to a hundred characters. And this is, this appears to be like a, you know, a floating point value. Yeah. These appear to be all integers. I don't know if it got into like addresses, but that's kind of like a ne- logical next step for those kind of things. Right. Those can be really convenient. Yeah. Especially if they can clean, if help you clean data and identify issues with it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, Overall, that's kind of my high level. The only other thing I wanted to get into a little bit was security. Um, security is kind of interesting, I'll say. Because there's about three levels of security you're dealing with. You're dealing with security as the person who's creating the data set. So it, me as creating a data set, if I had certain p- permissions or... La- Way that, to go. That was, on, that was on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> Why did my phone ring? Because it's probably your wife. It is my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she knows I'm recording today. <laughs> Probably forgot. Yeah, she just wants to bug me. Yep. And last week it was me. This week it's you. Yeah. Anyways, what was I talking about? <laughs> I got so rudely Secure, interrupted. Security. Security. Yeah. So. So if I don't have access to a field as the person creating the data set, then I can't see that in the builder, which makes sense. Okay. So all of that, all of that's kind of maintained. What about record level? Though? Like you, if you're bringing data in, you'd do you, it won't bring in data that you particular records you don't have access to if there's like a private sharing model or See, that's, that's where we go to the level two. Okay. The, uh, you start with like the integration user. Is yeah. that what you call it? So there, you'll, you'll start seeing, you'll start seeing, um, integration user in some of your application data. So if you look at a data set, you'll see it was last updated by, and it'll, it'll say integration user. And what that is, is that's the backend kind of process that goes out and grabs that data. And that process is a view all data mode. So it's going to grab all the data, even though maybe I don't have access to a certain record. It's going to pull that data in. So you really have to be really careful about your data sets because you could be exposing data that someone doesn't have access to. So, so once the data is all in and you've got a, just a wave user, not a builder or whatever, just someone, you know, using wave, consuming this, um, they're probably seeing all of the data, right? They are. But it's, I won't say anonymized, it's kind of summarized data though, right? It, it depends on how you set up the data and how you expose I mean, that they, data. Can they them. drill down to like an opportunity and see who sold it and what the amount was and all that stuff? Only if you've made that data available in the okay. data set. So you can, create some, you can create a data set that has a name and account. And they'll have access to all of the opportunities. So they'll be able to see you know, the full count and get a full view of everything. But they won't have individual pieces of information. Okay. However, if you... Go to the opportunity object and select all fields and, and then create a few lenses and then they will be able to kind of drill into that stuff. Um, which gets us into the third level of security, which is what they're calling, and I'm I'm not even sure if I'm saying this right, but predicates. It, it's a term foreign to me. I'm not sure. I'm not a data scientist, but it's basically an additional filter that you put on the data set. Um versus a filter where you're just kind of saying, you know you know, filtering this data by this data value and this kind of this, this is kind of more at a, at the data set level. So this gets enforced, you know, every time it's run versus filters where you can remove them and add them and change them and all those kind of things. Cause okay. they're meant to be dynamic, right? This is not dynamic. This is meant to be very strict kind of a policy. And is it a yes or no? Like it, it, for, is that like on a record by record? Like it's applying this predicate. It's, it's a, it's a kind of a where clause for lack of a better word, you have a, a field in the data set equals maybe the user ID. So you can say, 
filter all the data or the, the predicate that mm-hmm. says filter all the data where the owner of these opportunities is the current user. And so you're basically saying at that point, they can only see data that they own. So this is, then this is the map reduce underpinnings of, so what's, what's wave uh, underneath it's um, they're using. Uh, what's it, What's it? I don't know. They're not using Hadoop, but they're using, um, I think it's HBase, Maybe. which is a similar, similar product, I guess. But yeah, I mean, you start to see these things that they're, it's pretty clear that it's got, you know, kind of a MapReduce type underpinnings because that's what, that's kind of what map, MapReduce is. You're basically sending like a a predicate or set of predicates, which are basically just assertions. And each one of them results in a bool, you know, yes or no, a Boolean. Right. You know, whether, and it can be whether to drop that from the data set or what's included in this data set. And it's just right. a bunch of predicates. That's how you define really what's in this data set. Yeah. And it, it is just text. So you kind of have to know what you're doing. It's, it's almost like building a formula, except you don't have a lot of the pre-built functions to help you out with. Okay. You, you're typing this out. Right. And you can get pretty complex with it. They have examples of, I kind of don't like this part of it, but I understand why it is the way it is. But you, you basically have to recreate, you know, role hierarchy permission type things or team permission things or user or kind of ownership permission things using these predicates. Because once it's, in analytics, it's just all raw data that's available. So you're building, you're using a completely separate technology to try and restrict access to those records. Yeah. It would be nice if there's like some kind of built-in function that said, you know, only, you know, these users or owners or by role hierarchy, and maybe they'll get to that at some point. But right that's now really it's still hard. really raw. Yeah, I guess I guess the, the takeaway here, to borrow an annoying term, is um, be careful because you're basically dumping essentially all of your Salesforce data into some other database that's not Salesforce and that does not have secure Salesforce's security model enforcing enforcement going on. Exactly. So well, not only that, if you start hooking up to your data center, now all of that other information is there as well. Right. And we talked about last week, how one thing that's pretty impressive is the fact that Salesforce enforces their, that data, their security model real time. Right. Right. And it's a fairly advanced security model and it's impressive. They can do that again in real time and in, in you know, to be able to you know, page through thousands of records in a matter of seconds and all that while enforcing all these, um, all these security con- uh, constraints. And when you need to, but that's at one speed, right? A certain speed that relational data, you know, typical at enterprise application with something like business intelligence, you're talking about orders of magnitude faster, right? So you, you cannot have that level of security checks going on when you click into a chart. Right. To expand it or whatever. Right. So that's just out the window. Yep. So it's just something to keep in mind. But I do enjoy how fast everything is. If you're an org that's on a public, generally public sharing model, you're probably fine. Right. It's, it's these orgs that have a lot of really comes down to making sure your data sets are, are designed the right way that you are segmenting your data sets for, for use by certain people and you're only giving them access to certain pieces of information. Right. Don't go in and create a data set and just select all fields. You know, you're going to get, you're going to get into some trouble doing that. Yep. You know, you want to make sure that you're designing your data sets for their intended purpose. And you kind of have to know what that purpose is. You have to yeah. know like what you're looking for or the types of things that people may be looking for. And that was interesting because Salesforce and some of the documentation, when I was reading up on the dashboard stuff, they actually gave, Pretty good tips. And they, they said, visualize your dashboards, draw them out on paper and, or just draw them out in general and try to figure out, you know, what you're going to visualize here. Yeah. You know, because you do have to, you do have to create a data set. You do have to create the lens and then you do have to go in and add that to the dashboard. So 
it's not like you're just going to have this playground like you do with reports and just dragging and dropping and seeing things flow. You have to go through this process. Yeah, you need a plan, right? You do. And especially if you're, if you're a company who you have you know, billions of records of, of some data in, in you know, some database in your, behind your firewall or whatever that you want to get into Wave. Right. I mean, you really need to have a plan of, you know, what does it make sense? What, could, what types of things could, be, we'd, could we be looking for? Where do we think there's hidden valuable information in our data? And have a plan you know, import the data that you think is going to make sense in the, and see what, see what you can find out with that. And, right. You know, kind of to be strategic about it. Yeah. Is there a data limit on wave? Um, for data sets for CSVs, I know there's 500 megs. That's per load though, but can't you keep loading more? Well, that becomes a data set. So that data set is 500 megs. Also oh, the max size of a CSV data set. Yes. That's interesting. So you're, I would think you could be loading, you know, some data from CSV, some data from Salesforce, some data from some Oracle database you have, through which I guess well, would be through can, a CSV. Well, you can, but that, that one element. But you can't combine those into a data set that could be, you can connect things. Like, you could say, hey, this, the data set from the CSV relationally hooks up to this data that I brought in from or Informatica in this certain way. And these, these fields key into these fields. And That I haven't explored. All I know is that to import a CSV and that becomes a data set, the limit right now is 500 megs for external data sources. I think it was something like four gigs or I'd have to, I'd have, I don't want to say that. Don't hold me to that number. Cause it, right. it, I'm trying to go off memory sure. here, but I think there was like a four gig limit on that. And I think with Salesforce data, it's, it's, it's all of it. Basically, whatever your data limits are, you have access what to do you have in your org. If you can yeah. fit in your org, you can, if you can fit in your yeah. org. You can fit in analytics. Although you still, obviously you didn't want to bring, be bringing all of your org data into Salesforce. Right. Yeah. So, Cool. Well, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I mean, it's unfortunately, it's going to be one of these products I think is so expensive that I don't know if I'll get much of an opportunity to work with it. Right. Especially if they don't make it available to dev orgs. And, and obviously with some limited data constraints, you know. But hopefully they will at some point, because if not, I just, I don't know. I think it's a great tool. And I, I mean, if they don't find an audience for it at that price point, if they drop the price point, I, I think a lot of people will get a lot of great use out of it. I've heard that that price is going to be softening a bunch. So I bet if you called Salesforce and said, Hey, we're really interested in wave and we're willing to, you know, we'll pay for it and everything. But, you know, we understand it's a version one product and it's kind of new and there's limitations and there's a lot of competition and it's a competitive space. You know, I think, I mean, I, and I have no idea. I have not talked to Salesforce about this and I don't know of anyone getting deals. I've just heard that people are getting deals. There's major discounting going on. Well, I'd imagine if you're big enterprise and you know, Salesforce is going to want, want that. They're going to want to plant that flag and say, yeah, you know. Well, and I think right now, I don't think it's worth what they're charging for it, but I think they want to jump out there with that price because the price positions it, right? right. As a kind of leading slash premium product in that space. If you come out with a low price that's lower than everyone else, it makes it, it, makes it look bad. You haven't positioned your product well, right? Right. So you have a high price and you discount off that you know, on invoices, Right. Right. And, and I think what they're going to do is they're going to grow into that price. Eventually, they'll build up the value so that it's really worth that much. Because that's at that price, it's quite a bit more than a lot of the other ones that are out there. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in the ballpark. But they're competing with companies who have been building these products for five, ten, or you know, more years. Yeah. There's a, most of them have moved on to the statistical side of things, you know, adding those, those additional layers yeah. on top of just the visualization. So. It'll be interesting to see how this progresses, how far Salesforce goes with it. Yep. 
I'm like I said, I'm sure they have, you know, big plans for version two and beyond. Yeah. Maybe we'll see something, something big at Dreamforce. Who knows? Yeah. Cool. Well, we are over our time. Really? Yep. I felt like we only talked for like five minutes. because <laughs> we, because we like hearing <laughs> ourselves talk, which is why we do a podcast. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I hate hearing myself talk. I don't know why I do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that, I say good day, sir. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. Now you're just going through your soundboard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I talked over your thank you. That's okay. You can edit me. It wasn't me. It was Mark. You can edit me out. Okay. If you talk over Mark, just don't talk over me.